Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. You can join Will Buxton for a special episode of This Week with Will Buxton as he attends the 24-hour of Le Mans for the first time. He's on the grid. He talks to Tom Christensen, Esteban Ocon, and here is John Elkin, the Ferrari president. You got to sit in the car behind you, the first Ferrari winner from 1949. You got to wave the flag to start the race, as your grandfather did before you. What does this place mean to you, personally? It was a discovery. Uh, I, I had never been, and it's been a wonderful privilege to, to really learn and, and be part of such a wonderful atmosphere where who loves cars comes together and that group effort that you see in the teams with the pilots, with the engineers, the mechanics and, and all of it at play is very, very unique. As I said, you can catch Le Mans special of this week with Will Buxton right now on motorsport.tv. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm your host, Ariana Bravo, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Home hero Max Verstappen secured the win today at the Dutch Grand Prix in front of an absolutely unbelievable crowd, and in doing so, takes back the lead of the Drivers' Championship. He led from the start of the race and soon built a gap of around three seconds over Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton was unable to do anything to get ahead of his title rival, despite Mercedes trying to gain a strategic advantage. The only threat to Verstappen's race arrived after his first pit stop when he resumed behind Valtteri Bottas, but the Mercedes driver was soon cleared with the aid of DRS. As Hamilton worked around an alternative strategy which put him on the quicker medium tyres but for a lengthy stint, Verstappen held a 2.5 second lead over his title rival before a late Hamilton pit stop for the fastest lap ensured Verstappen seized an eventual victory by 20.9 seconds. The podium was completed with the second Mercedes of Valtteri Bottas who set the fastest lap at the end of the race despite being told to abort the lap 
but Lewis claimed it back on the final lap. Pierre Gasly drove a fantastic race, starting and finishing fourth ahead of the Ferrari of Charles Leclerc. Fernando Alonso managed a late pass on Carlos Sainz to take sixth ahead of Sergio Perez, who drove a strong recovery drive to take P8 after a pit lane start and an early pit stop following a flat spot. The top 10 was rounded up with Esteban Ocon and Lando Norris. We had two DNFs, Nikita Mazepin with hydraulic issues and Yuki Tsunoda due to a power loss. However, despite the numerous red flags throughout the weekend, the race itself presented no safety cars or red flags. I'm joined by Luke Smith, Autosports F1 reporter and Jess McFadden, Director of Digital Strategy for Motorsport Network. Guys, how are you both doing? Not a not a barnstormer of a race. I think it was quite a, quite a quiet one, but uh, yeah, mega weekend by the looks of things. And uh, one of those races that you're really gutted you're not on the ground for because the atmosphere just looked electric all the way through. And uh, yeah, just a brilliant return for F1 uh, to Zandvoort. Yeah, I was kind of I agree with Luke. It was kind of a mixed a mixed impression that I could could tell and kind of how I was feeling about it because you're right, the atmosphere was incredible um definitely shows to the world kind of what an f1 event can be um but also yeah lacking in a little bit of action i think in obvious action which sometimes leaves people being like well this is a bit dull or it's not the most exciting of races but i was also quite relieved that we had a relatively straightforward sunday because i feel like in f1 terms that hasn't happened for quite a few races. Uh, so for us working in it, it felt like, you know, very straightforward, potentially quite easy to cover. Um, but, you know, I think there was still enough there for the fans, still enough there for us to uh, to write stories about and analyse. But yeah, I'm just quite relieved that, especially after last weekend, we had something that looked pretty much like a normal race Sunday. So yeah, thumbs up for that. I agree with that as well, actually, because last weekend was exhausting, despite the fact that it was, you know, a few laps. Uh, so this today has been more easy, more manageable. Um, as you both said, the atmosphere, absolutely incredible. It's been a fantastic weekend out here in Zandvoort. The fans were just amazing. And like you said, Jess, what I really liked about this weekend was that it showed the potential of a Grand Prix weekend and... I mean, I just really hope that we can find a way to bring this sort of energy uh, in future races as well. We are going to go back to our race ratings, which of course we skipped last time out because there was not much to rate. <laughs> but we're going to do it this time. So Luke, I'm going to go to you first. What are you giving today's race out of 10? Mm, maybe a 5.5, 6, something like that. I thought it was, yeah, as Jess said, like there wasn't really obvious action. Like at the front, it was pretty straightforward in terms of the strategies. And uh, But I think through the field, yeah, we saw some good uh, some good overtakes. I think sort of Perez gave us a nice little charge through the field. I thought Alonso's first lap in particular, that was really good. So uh, yeah, I, I would, I'll, I'll go for a 6, I think. That was that went for a five from a five point five to a six real quick. Um, it did, didn't it? <laughs> but that's that's okay. I'll allow that because I was I was thinking probably <laughs> just those marginal gains. You know what we talk about in Formula One all the time makes the difference. So uh, there you go, Zandvoort marginal gains for you from Link. Me, me, I was gonna go for a five. So maybe yeah, the added the added boost from Luke means that that uh, my slightly lower rating brings up its overall average. But yeah, I just. 
it was one of those ones where I was kind of like, do something, like something happen. <laughs> um, which, as as Luke said, we Alonso blinding race, Gasly blinding race. Um, yeah, the Perez charge was great. It's good to see, but you know, fastest car on the track plus you know, shouldn't have ruined his first stint, really, because he might have ended up higher. But I guess it was still entertaining. Uh, I'm sure we'll get on to driver of the day later on. Uh, you could probably guess where I'm going with it. But um, it, I think, yeah, it was, it, it had enough. It had enough, but am I going to remember it when we come to the kind of season review? I'm probably going to be clutching as to what I can remember from that. And that's not just because I've got bad memory. That is probably because it wasn't hugely eventful. Um, but apart from the atmosphere, that's obviously going to stick very, very much clearly in our minds because we've already been talking about it and we're only five minutes into the podcast. So uh, yeah, a five from me. What about you, Ariana? What are you giving it? I think I'm going to say a six as well. I do think that it was lacking in on-track action the atmosphere which I know I shouldn't technically include in the race rating but I am still going to use it to pump it up a little bit because it was just amazing throughout the race you couldn't ignore it that's the thing it was impossible to ignore all of the flares I mean I actually have a bit of a sore throat genuinely from the amount of flares that were at the track uh so I'm going to go for a six but let's get into the action that we saw today. We've touched on some of it very briefly there, but we're going to dig into all of it. But let's start with the home hero, Max Verstappen, dominant throughout the race. Were you ever expecting him not to take that win, Luke? It was kind of the narrative for this weekend, really, wasn't it? It would have been a bit silly if we'd have uh, spent all this time hyping up the return of the Dutch Grand Prix and have him, uh, yeah, the grandstands bedecked in orange and then him not win the race. That wouldn't really have fit the, fit the script. So, uh, no, I think that Max, he uh, he was in a he was in a league of his own, I think. I think he, he produced a dominant display right the way through the weekend. And, yeah, I think that it was, it was a weekend where I think Red Bull and Mercedes, they were quite evenly matched, actually, for pace. And although Verstappen, yeah, sort of did, control things pretty well at the front Mercedes their feeling is that if they'd actually got ahead in qualifying if they'd have got pole obviously it was only what three hundredths between uh, Verstappen and Hamilton in Q3 they could have been a very different race and I think that would have been really interesting to see but uh, no I think that yeah the moment that we saw Max and I mean he had a blinding start and even after the first lap was a good 1.7 seconds clear I think he had broken two seconds after a couple of laps and I think the moment that we saw that happen it kind of looked like oh, okay he's checked out already and uh, yeah obviously face struggles as the race wore on looking at traffic and blue flags and things like that that allowed Lewis to get close at points but really I think it didn't ever look like Red Bull or Verstappen were going to lose today like, I think they had everything pretty much under control they reacted well through the pit stops uh, the switch of the hard tyre for the final stint Mercedes were really surprised by that they didn't see that coming so Red Bull had that little uh, little trick up their sleeve and yeah just a very complete display from Verstappen and Red Bull and uh, a very popular victory as well obviously with the the what 72,000 home fans who were mainly there to see Max apart from it's got to be said Mercedes posted um, a picture of a, a Lewis fan with a big flag saying like Arthur Lewis Hamilton wearing all Mercedes gear and uh, yeah well done to that man very brave but yeah really really good weekend from Max yeah the Mercedes fans were definitely few and far between I did see a few of them uh and you know so massively outnumbered uh but yeah 
good for them for still coming out and representing in in an environment where they were definitely massively, massively outnumbered. Jess, what was your take on Max Verstappen today and this weekend as a whole? Back at at his home, what did you make of it? It actually makes you more excited about what the future of Formula One is going to look like. Um, I know we've we've labelled and earmarked Max Verstappen as one of the greats. He's just never really had the machinery to show off just how great. Um, we forget he's 23 years old, you know, and he is this successful already um, and showing us just what an absolute true racer he is. Like he's he is the perfect package. He's got everything going for him. Um, he's matured in so many ways from the racer that we saw when he first joined Formula One. Um, and I think, you know, it, it, it is races like today where he's just so cool, calm, collected. I think, yeah, as, as to, as to Luke's point, there was maybe only one scenario today where he had to clear Bottas or we could have seen uh, him lose track position and that might have played into Mercedes hands because they had both cars out front, whereas Max was on his own. But up and, and apart from that point, I think, and he, obviously cleared him pretty quickly there was probably nothing that could shake him from his position um which yeah just goes to show just what a commanding racer and you know worthwhile competitor to lewis hamilton he is um so yeah i've got a smile on my face about it i think it's it's a good thing i know people are even they're starting to get bored already of verstappen winning which is just you know uh, why do we do this? Um, it's a really competitive season, and I'm, you know, again, we're, I'm sure we're going to look ahead to Monza, but you know, we could we could have a fight back from Mercedes there. So, yeah, I think you know, sit tight. What we're watching is magic. So, yeah, I'm a. I think he had an absolute storm of a race. Cool, calm, collected, controlled, all the C's basically. I agree. And I spoke to Christian after the race. And that is literally what I said to him. Max was cool, calm and collected throughout. And he said he was really impressed with how he handled it, how he dealt with it all. Um, and that that is something to bear in mind as well. He had so many possible distractions this weekend with the amount of attention. And that's something that Christian spoke about as well. The fact that, you know, he was sort of being pulled in all directions, but they had to be really careful to just stick to, you know, the normal agenda to keep him keep him in line and it obviously paid off because he was just on top form. Um, the driver standings have obviously changed after today's race. Max is now back leading by a few points. Talk to us about the Mercedes strategy today, Luke, because going into the race, we knew that they would try something different with strategy. They had Hamilton and Bottas there behind Max uh, talk us through what they attempted and um, where I guess it went wrong slash just didn't didn't pay off the way they would have liked. So because they had that two-on-one situation at the front, I think Mercedes, their hope was that if they did a one-stop strategy with one of their cars and a two-stop with the other, then Max, who would presumably do a one-stop, because that's kind of what everyone was suggesting might happen um, this week, Pirelli, their pre-race prediction was for a one-stop regardless of what tyre you started on. But that uh, that quickly went out the window. And because of the bank corners, because there's so many fast right-handers, the front left tyres really took a pounding this weekend. So I think a one-stop strategy was always going to be a little bit optimistic. And Mercedes, they looked to pull the trigger quite early in the race and uh, brought Hamilton in 
to try and get the undercut on Verstappen. And they definitely made a lot up a lot of time. We saw in qualifying how quick the track evolution is. And that was much the same in the race as well. But every single time that Hamilton did that, Red Bull and Verstappen just responded one lap later. They had enough of a gap where the undercut wouldn't uh, cause him to catch up. So so that was that, that's what happened at the first stop. And then Mercedes, they tried keeping Bottas out a little bit longer to try and back Verstappen into Hamilton. Bottas was told over the radio, you, this is for the race win. Probably not for Bottas, his own personal race win, but to help the team. Uh, shake of the head there from Jess. And it's, it's true, though. <laughs> it's um, And it was, uh, yeah, but Bottas, ultimately, he just didn't have the pace. Like his tyres were very, very far gone by that point to be able to keep Max back. So Max got through pretty easily in the end. Lewis gained a little bit, but not, not a huge amount. And then Mercedes, they tried it again. They tried again, pulling the trigger first, getting the undercut on Verstappen when they went for that second stop. But the issue this time around was that Hamilton was dropped into traffic. He came out around, I think it was uh, uh, Daniel Ricciardo, George Russell, Lance Stroll, and that kind of gaggle of cars. And it meant that Hamilton didn't really have much room. He was over the radio immediately going, why have you dropped me into this traffic? Mercedes, Tosa Wolf, they after the race admitted that it was an error, uh, that they shouldn't have pitted him into that gap. But their belief always was that Red Bull, because they didn't have any spare sets of mediums left, after the first pit stop, that Verstappen would he he would have to go for the softs, and therefore he'd been in a lot of trouble. So he would have to go very long on that stint in the middle of the race to use softs at the end. Or if he pitted in reaction to Hamilton, would have a long way to go on a set of tyres that probably wouldn't last. But what Red Bull did was fit a set of hards that Mercedes really didn't expect, and that that's what caught them out. And ultimately, Verstappen within the first couple of laps he matched Hamilton's pace and it was quite clear that actually the hard tyre was going to hold up pretty well and in the end uh, yeah sorry I'm absolutely fine to the end Lewis I think was yeah he'd have also got to the end but obviously they went for the fastest lap um, so yeah I think Mercedes it, it just didn't it didn't work today because they didn't really have two cars quick enough to put the pressure on Verstappen at the front and uh, yeah they just weren't they weren't within firing range i don't think so it was it was a difficult one they couldn't really take advantage of their numbers at the front and uh yeah red bull just had the pace to always react and always had something extra in their pocket which uh, meant that mercedes couldn't really re- respond yeah that's really interesting luke because as you said the mercedes and the red bull didn't seem to be too different when it came to race pace but mercedes couldn't take advantage of both cars despite having them up there And on the topic of Bottas, I want to talk about the fastest lap thing that we saw at the end of the race. Obviously, we saw him setting purple sectors, and then we had James coming on the radio, the famous Valtteri, it's James kind of vibe, um, telling him to not set the fastest lap. And then Valtteri set the fastest lap. What did you both make of that? Jess, we'll go to you first, and then Luke will come, come to you after. Well... I, when, a, when a driver is called in late in the race, when you have that kind of a gap and fitted with new tyres, you assume you're going to go for fastest lap. And you're, you're naturally going to be quicker because you have fresh rubber. So it's no surprise that that Mercedes put in a fastest lap. But then, yeah, he the fact that he was told to, you know, pull out, don't do that again. Uh, make sure you slow down. Don't try and beat that time uh, now that you've got the tyres warmed up. And um, I think, yeah, he was obviously initially confused, but then seemed to, even though it did feel at the last moment, uh, he did he did pull out of that uh, that that second attempt. So he said it was a bit of fun. He said he was just playing yeah. around. 
Um, which I thought was quite funny from, we've not really seen that side of Valtteri before. And I'm sure people are going to look into that and say it's telling. And uh, we had a question on our Instagram live Q and A about whether Mercedes are going to have a bit of trouble on their hands from Bottas for the rest of the season, given what we are anticipating is going to be, uh, news coming out that he's no longer with the team, uh, for next season. But I don't, I don't buy that. I don't think that's Valtteri's style. Um, we've never seen that kind of, uh, attitude or but then again we've never seen him in inverted commas demoted so it'll be interesting to see how they use Valtteri and uh, if obviously he's not really in contention for the championship it's all on Lewis um so you know it's no surprise that he was told to back out of it but I did think it was I found it quite entertaining everybody else did as well I mean Twitter loved it uh just because it was a bit it was a bit of the spicy Bottas and we you know we don't get to see that very often so I thought it was great fun I thought it was too to be honest uh something a bit different from him there and you took words out of my mouth is that a sign that you know he's gonna be out of that seat uh come 2022 because it would be a very strange angle to take if you were you know trying to stay on the good side of your team and the team that you plan on continuing with next season as well especially given all of the talk at the moment I mean it's the obvious thing that it points to Luke do you think that that is a telling sign or are we all just uh reading into everything yeah I'm sorry to disappoint but I think it may be adding two and two and getting five I think it was uh yeah as you as Jess said when you are pulled in towards the end of of a race you're assuming you're going to go for the fastest lap. Mercedes actually told Bottas that it was a precaution, that they were a bit worried about his tyres, they'd seen the vibration, so they wanted to take that stop as a precaution, not to give him the shot for the fastest lap. The gap to Lewis Hamilton was actually so big that Lewis would have pitted anyway and still come out ahead of Bottas. So it wasn't about even making room for Lewis. Maybe give him a bit more breathing space had there been uh, uh, an issue at the pit stop or something like that. But uh, yeah, Bottas, he did, in fairness, he did react to the message from James Vowles. He lifted off completely Mm. in the final sector. That's why Hamilton, when he went and set the fastest lap on the final lap, was a good 1.4, 1.5 seconds quicker, I think. So there was, um, yeah, he, he did he did adhere to the call. Um, Toto Wolf said, yeah, maybe it was a little bit cheeky, but he, he fully understood where Valtteri was coming from. He said it's something they'll talk about, he said, but very, very amicably. And I think that, yeah, it's um, it's not anything to read too much into. I think, yeah, we, we clearly know which way the wind is blowing. And But Bottas still has a Constructors' Championship to help Mercedes win. And actually, right now, he is a very important asset to them because Sergio Perez hasn't been picking up massive points for Red Bull. And it's not only going to be Max and Lewis who decide where the Constructors' title goes. Like, Bottas and Perez are going to play a huge role in that. And uh, it's important. And um, we heard Lewis over the radio when he pissed it. He was like, oh, we've got to get that fastest lap point, guys. Like, come on, let's go for it. And then after the race, like, oh, he was told about the uh, fastest lap shenanigans with Bottas. And he was like, well, it doesn't really matter. Like, as long as one of the Mercedes drivers gets it. And you're thinking, mm, I don't think that's quite that's quite right. But he, um, yeah, I think Bottas, I, he did follow the call in the end. I think if it were truly like, well, I'm out of here, so I may as well just to hell with it, do what I want then he would have just kept it pinned for that final sector and he would have set a fastest lap that Lewis would have had a bit more trouble beating. But in the end, yeah, it was a good 1.4 seconds that Lewis pulled on Bossas's fastest lap. So he did follow the call in the end. But uh, yeah, a, a, quite a quirky, interesting story all the same that definitely against the intrigue of the driver market, it's uh, it's a very interesting little, little nugget of uh, little story we've had today. 
Yes, and we will take it. <laughs> we will absolutely take it. <laughs> you also mentioned there Checo, Checo Perez. And we're going to go on to him now because, of course, he had a recovery drive. He started from the pit lane, didn't have a good qualifying yesterday, um, then had that uh, issue at the start of the race, which meant that he had to pit early. And Jess, I want to come straight to you because you said at the start, well, you it sounds like you're not as impressed with his recovery drive as many people are. Uh, talk us through that. I mean, it was still... A good recovery. Um, it just maybe wasn't as big of a recovery as he could have had, um, given the kind of the pace advantage that he had over the cars uh, that he was having to pass. But we also know that Zambort's a really tricky track to pass at, and he did make his way up that grid. So he proved that it was possible um, to pass cars uh, out on track, which is which is a good thing. But yeah, he kind of he he did hurt his ambitions right at the very beginning by flat spotting a set of hards which you've immediately put yourself on the back foot um and making life very tricky for the team which are trying to manage a race win out front shall we just also mention so yeah you know i don't want to take it away from him too much it was still a good drive considering how disappointing qualifying had been for him um and you know it was great to hear him getting really fired up again we're so I mean I guess we're getting used to a back of the grid Checo climbing back up to to the to the top 10 if not winning um as he has as has, he did do for his uh first and only uh Grand Prix victory but uh, you know it shouldn't be that difficult you're in a red bull you know it, it shouldn't you shouldn't be making life hard for yourself you should be maximizing pardon the pun I guess um on the fact that you 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 can drive this car fast and you have that pace advantage now we know that second red bull is tricky i'm i'm sure everybody is going to be coming at me about the second red bull seat curse and the fact that we know that it's tricky and it's other drivers before him have also struggled so you know i don't i don't want to take it away from him it was still a good drive but i don't think it was driver of the day material sorry i think there are other drivers more deserving of driver of the day that's all i'm saying i'll leave it there Yes, and I know that, Luke, you said you that Pierre Gasly is your driver of the day, and we're going to come on to him next. But before we do, I want to just stay with Checo um, for a second longer, because, I mean, yes, it was a good recovery drive. He got up to P7, but we saw with Max that the car was capable of a lot more. And as you've just mentioned, when it comes to the Constructors' Championship the teams need both the drivers in the mix, not really doing recovery drives. They need them at the front of the pack, supporting one another. How do you think Red Bull will be looking at performances like today? I mean, you know, obviously Christian Horner's come out and said it was a good recovery drive, etc. But he needs them up the front. Yeah, exactly. And they need to work out their Saturdays and their qualifyings because it's the second weekend in a row where Perez had a pretty lousy Saturday. There was a lot of track evolution and Red Bull, I think a lot of factors came together uh, in qualifying yesterday. It was the, the delay of getting at the end of the pit lane. It was the, the a little bit too much fuel on the car. Just a lot of things added up that meant that Perez was shuffled out of qualifying in 16th place. And he afterwards said that he thinks he could have put the car on the front row of the grid, which is I think about the third or fourth time he said that this year. And he's been quite... He's been quite honest this year about the struggles he's had with the car, but this weekend he genuinely sounded like he had like he had things figured out. Like he was really happy with how it was handling, how it was feeling, and yet he didn't really get a chance to actually show that 
in in the race at the very front of the pack. Yeah, it was a good charge through the field, but as Jess said, like you're in one of the fastest cars. It's not it's not like it's a uh, it's not picking up the points that you should be. Um, yeah, Perez. I mean, what's come home eighth? It's it's meant that Red Bull on a weekend where they've yeah top qualifying dominated the race had a very slight but decisive edge over Red Bull, over Mercedes, sorry. They've uh, actually come away losing ground in the Constructors' Championship, which is not it's not what Red Bull need. And I think they just need Perez to, yeah, take that step up. They need to be getting their Saturdays absolutely foot perfect because it's those little mistakes that a track, especially like Zandvoort, is so, so costly. So, yeah, I think that... I think it is. It's getting there. I think Perez, like he is, sort of growing more and more comfortable with the car. I think next year, obviously, is a complete blank slate, so it'll change things. But he, yeah, he just needs to. We need to stop having the Saturday conversations with him, where it's like, oh, something happened again. What was it? Like it needs to be just absolutely like spotless, no issues. I did the job. I'm out there at the front. I'm here to support Max, get the points, and win this constructors' championship for Red Bull. And you have said on Twitter earlier today that Pierre Gasly would be your driver of the day, not Sergio Perez. Why would Pierre Gasly be your driver of the day? Of course, he started fourth, finished fourth. That in itself says enough. But why uh, are you backing Pierre for driver of the day? Uh, Because he was just perfect today. I think that I'm interested to see what Autosports driver ratings are, but I think Gasly has to be an absolute perfect 10 because he he just did absolutely nothing wrong all weekend. I mean, to stick to AlphaTauri fourth on the grid ahead of the Ferraris, the McLarens, the Alpines, the Aston Martins, that's a, a stonking result, like really, really significant. And then in the race, he was just absolutely perfect right the way through. He he had the measure of Charles Leclerc. It was a, a pretty risky strategy that uh, AlphaTauri went for. They brought him in quite early and he had to go, I think it was something like 48 laps on that set of mediums and yet he was able to do that so I think he deserves so much credit for what he did Um, he was the final driver to be lapped only the top three finished on the lead lap but it was a really really impressive display and yeah I just I just think it's I think the driver of the day vote it always tends to go to the driver who's like had something go wrong in quality start at the back put in loads of overtakes therefore they get loads time on the on the world feed and people watching oh yeah that's really good and okay fine they gave the action that's exciting but it doesn't mean that over the weekend like or on that day especially, they actually performed the best. I think that Gasly, yeah, was just so, so good today. And yeah, it's just hard to sort of keep piling praise on Pierre Gasly knowing that he's just not going to go anywhere. He's just going to be stuck at AlphaTauri for eternity by the looks of things because he's just so bloody good. And performances like today, it just really deserves to be, uh, yeah, shouted from the rooftops about how good they are. So that is what I'm doing. <laughs> that's me clicking and for that just, answer because that's I I can't I totally agree with Luke and I think a part of the reason is because you know for the average fan sat at home they they might not understand just how hard that was for Pierre Gasly and I think a part of it has to do with the way that it's communicated on TV um another part of it is you know there's there's there is, uh, you know, for the for the general fan, and this I don't I do not mean any offence by this, but you know they're not looking, they're not analysing lap times, they're not am- analysing tyre stints, and nor should they, right? That's our job. Well, not my job, Luke's job, or Alex's job, or whomever is doing the the tyre analysis. Luke doesn't really like tyres. Um, <laughs> 
but um he yeah that you know that is our job and that's why we're here to try and tell that story and to say why we maybe don't agree with the drive of the day voting now that's not to say that that should belittle what the fans want to vote because you know that's you know that's exactly why it's there it's to it's to get the feeling of of the fan sentiment towards the race and that's a good thing um but yeah i just do think that more could be done to kind of just show without turning into a, a, a Pierre Gasly fan podcast, um, just why that drive was was stellar. Um, so I think, you know, it's probably not on F1's top priorities in terms of how to improve the show. But I think, yeah, it's, 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 it's a shame that stuff like that goes under the radar um, when, <coughs> when actually... Oh, that's my dog getting involved. It's a shame stuff goes <laughs> under the radar um, when when they do such a good job like Pierre did today. He did do an absolutely fantastic, fantastic job. Um, brilliant drive, like you said, Luke. I mean, I can't really add much more to your praises. But like you touched on, his future seems to be with Alpha Tauri. How is that possible that we're not going to see someone as talented as him moving up the ranks or do you think that actually the environment at Alpha Tauri is what is allowing him to excel this much and you know putting him back in the Red Bull would potentially uh do more damage than good you know we saw that it wasn't the right environment for Pierre so why put him back there um and yeah you're mm-hmm. right you know we want I think the prob- the problem is is that for a very long time we've only been really talking about two competitive teams ever in a season yeah that's the problem that Formula One has which obviously next year's regulations are with a big change and then the engine regulation change is, is, is all about trying to you know balance things and make things more competitive so you know who knows in a few seasons' time, if Pierre Gasly is still racing, he could maybe help lead the charge, not to steal their, you know, their catchphrase, but for AlphaTauri being a really competitive team, you only have to think back to the likes of Schumacher at Benetton. You know, like they, they, they could be an environment where a very experienced driver, as Pierre Gasly is fast becoming, actually helps to take a team to becoming super competitive. You know, there was... You know, Williams as an independent team used to be pretty competitive, right? It was, it's one of the most successful teams ever. I know it's a different era of Formula One and I'm not, you know, I don't want to look at everything with rose tinted glasses, but I am an optimist. And I actually think this is a really good environment for Pierre to grow, to, um, help to, to push the team forward. And actually, maybe he could be competitive in that Alpha Tauri you know stranger things have happened I think but I just I wish we would stop talking about that Red Bull seat because I just don't think it would be a good idea for Pierre to go back what's the point of him being in the Red Bull program if he's not meant to be in that Red Bull seat at some point in the future I think it's uh yeah I, th- I agree that I agree the environment at AlphaTauri works much better I, I agree with that I think it's a very small tight family unit I think that works brilliantly but I think that yeah, performances like today it just again sort of shows that yeah he he's got so much talent and he's a, he's a brilliant driver and I think he is ready for a top seat and I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what happens under the new regs in 22, how much of the sort of Red Bull second car problem is resolved like is it still an issue next year is Perez still struggling as much as he is this year and being so open about how difficult it is to drive the, drive this Red Bull car with the concept they've got that obviously is and rightly so built around Verstappen to get the absolute best out of their top driver so I would be really interested to see that yeah if 
if that is fixed next year, and if Red Bull might think, well, actually, it's quite a, a forgiving car now, might Pierre actually be okay, okay coming back here? Might he have grown up a little bit, had a bit more of an opportunity to to grow, as Jess said? Um, so yeah, so and I, I think also with Red Bull, like I'm not, it's not like when we were a couple of years back when they had this sort of line of youngsters coming through, and you could kind of see this the succession pro process that would happen. Right now, actually, I think Red Bull aren't in a brilliant spot with the drivers they've got coming through. I think Yuki Tsunoda, we've seen flashes of brilliance this year, but for the most part, it's actually been quite an underwhelming rookie season, I think. So I think next year is going to be an important one for him to to, to get right. I think Alex Albon obviously is is looking pretty pretty much like he will be back on the grid next year with one of two teams. And again, like I think he's going to be retaining those Red Bull ties. Therefore, he could throw his hat into the ring as whenever Perez does move on, that he could possibly step back in there. So I, th- I think that I think it's going to be interesting. But I think so long as Pierre is part of that Red Bull program, I think that they, I think he's going to be. He's going to be in this conversation, and we're going to ha- keep having this conversation. Um, he's he's very very good, and I think that he can help take AlphaTauri forward. He could help it become like a top midfield team or something like that. But like all drivers, he wants to be going for race wins and for championships and things like that. And he really needs to be in a top top team to be able to do that. So uh, yeah, so we'll see. So I, I agree that for now, AlphaTauri is absolutely the right place for Pierre. I think that. Perez is deserving of a second season with Red Bull, even if he's not been, he's not set the world on fire, but I think he's done a good enough job to be there for another season. Long term, though, I think that, yeah, Gasly very much remains sort of part of this consideration, if I were Red Bull at least, for what I want to be doing in, say, three, four years' time. Well, it waits to be seen how things will unfold for Pierre and his future. Let's move on now to the Ferraris. Obviously, Pierre managing to keep. Charles Leclerc behind him for this race. Luke, what is the story of how it unfolded for both Charles and Carlos today? Yeah, it was quite a lonely race for Ferrari in the end. And both Leclerc and Sainz, they went for quite a straightforward, soft to hard strategy. Sainz came in a fair chunk earlier than Leclerc. And that meant by the end, he was really, really struggling. Uh, He said that he'd struggled for a lot of the race, felt he was going quite slowly. And that meant he was, uh, yeah, left a sitting duck really to Alonso on the final lap. It was something that we missed, but Alonso really, really gunned it on that last lap. Apparently nearly crashed as well. But he did manage to get sixth and split the two Ferraris. But yeah, I think for Ferrari, it was uh, a day where they didn't really have the pace, I think, to stick with Gasly. I think that, yeah, he was he was uh, sort of a few seconds ahead of Leclerc right the way throughout. And the big thing for Ferrari, though, is that McLaren had a, a stinker of a day, only came away with one point. So for the Constructors' Championship, that's a really big step forward that Ferrari has taken. So I think they could be pretty pleased with that. Zandvoort, I think being given sort of the, the high downforce requirements, we maybe expected a little bit better from Ferrari. But it was a bit of a weird track where it was high downforce, but also lots of these sort of long flowing corners that doesn't suit the Ferrari car as well as um, uh, traditional high downforce layouts such as Monaco, for example. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a weird one for Ferrari. But I think all things considered, they can be pretty pleased with the job they've done. And uh, yeah, importantly, the ground they've pulled out on McLaren for P3. Yeah, big step forward there in terms of constructors. Now, in you mentioned Alonso taking that position from Carlos Sainz at the end of the race. Alonso had a really good race today. Like we said, first lap was super impressive, uh, making up positions. He said coming into the race that first lap is where he wanted to try and make up the positions, but then he ended up, you know, 
putting in a solid solid race from start to finish, literally. Luke, what did you think of Fernando Alonso today? Yeah, great drive, great drive. I think it was the sort of classic fighter Alonso that we've seen a lot through this season and maybe a few people, myself included, worried that after his couple of years away that actually would we see him back to that level, back sort of fighting as hard as he could. But we've absolutely seen that this year and today I think was yet further proof of that. And uh, it was quite interesting in the first stint because Ocon was really hanging on to him and uh, he said, oh, Fernando's extremely slow and Alpine kind of got on the blower to Alonso and said, well, okay, like... Esteban's pretty quick behind you and lots of us like oh I can go quicker like I just wanted to save my tyres because we were looking at a one stop and then he pulled out like six seconds in about 10 laps or something ridiculous so it was uh, yeah a brilliant drive I mean Fernando is just, he's just performing so well this year and to get sixth place I mean for Alpine look they're in this fight with uh, Alfa Tari with Aston Martin for fifth in the constructors and you're really sort of looking at I think it's Gasly and Alonso right now who are the, the two sort of shining stars in that and I think it's a, it's a very interesting fight I think it's going to go all the way to Abu Dhabi but with Fernando performing as he is, I think Alpine are in a really, really good spot. Uh, Esteban Ocon, I mean, yeah, credit where SG came away with uh, with a couple of points for ninth place, and again, sort of adds to adds to the tally. Whereas, uh, yeah, Alfatari only got one car in the points. Aston Martin didn't get any. So it's it's but it's those kind of displays, those kind of fights where you're going into the last lap of a race, and you're like, I've got to make this overtake on this driver, and you do it, and you pull it off. That that is why Fernando is a two-time world champion. And I'm just so glad that we're seeing him at the absolute peak of his powers this year again, because it's, uh, yeah, it's really invigorating that midfield fight, I think. It really is. I really, really am enjoying watching him this year. He's putting on some absolutely brilliant displays for us, showing us just some fantastic driving, both in terms of defending and attacking. And yeah, I'm, I'm loving it, to be honest. I'm absolutely loving it. I want to move on now, though, to a team that didn't have such a strong day and that is McLaren uh P10 and P11 falling behind uh Ferrari as we've mentioned already bit of a strange one this weekend they just didn't really seem to have it together this weekend Jess what did you make of the race today obviously we saw Norris the team orders being imposed to let Norris pass we also saw him having that contact with Perez what did you think of how things unfolded within McLaren yeah, it was a it was, it's been a weird weekend for McLaren. Obviously, disappointment of Lando Norris not qualifying where we're expecting him to. First weekend to not make it through to Q three this season. Um, so a bit of a uh, a run there ruined by Zandvoort. But uh, yeah, it was it it was an interesting one as well because Daniel Ricciardo almost didn't get going today. Uh, it turned out that he actually thought he'd stalled on the grid and was asking to uh, to abort the the start procedure because he was going to be stuck on the stuck on the grid, not able to get going. But he managed to get it going with about twenty seconds from lights out, which you know that whole start procedure is is quite tense for any driver. But to then go through <laughs> the whole shock that no one's seen that you could be stalled, which could obviously cause quite a nasty accident if drivers don't react uh, properly, to then get going and then have the first lap that we had, which I think, you know, we, 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 it was it was great to see. It was full of kind of action and side-by-side action that first, that first lap, which going three wide through turn three was was flipping awesome um but you know to have to do that after something like that just goes to show what a pro he was and obviously he did he did drop back um a couple places but then he he made up some places too so yeah it was um it was a weird weird start for ricardo but 
uh on the on Norris's side uh I guess yeah it was it was kind of a, a good recovery from starting P15 so good recovery drive on a track that we know is difficult to overtake on where they potentially don't have a pace advantage over any of their competitors Norris made that first stint last uh a good while so we had that track advantage for when he came in for for pit stops but yeah I thought it was a good recovery drive one point is 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 a almost like a it's not a good result, but it could. It's better than what could have could have been. But Ricardo, yeah, a bit of a disappointment. Uses a bit of a pawn, as you mentioned. There were team orders, um, which uh, I mean, I don't know why, but people on the commentary were making a big deal out of that. Like, like it was it was out of order to Ricardo. But you know, all things considered, him holding back Perez was the only way really that that we they were going to secure points. So I'm not I'm not too sure why people on the commentary and Twitter started thinking that that was out of order to Ricardo. I thought as the, as the second McLaren in the, in the running order, it is kind of your job to protect your teammate and try and protect the, the team points. So yeah, I found that quite odd, but yeah, it's a bit of a shame because yet again, Ricardo's side of the garage has failed to deliver points in McLaren's charge for P3 in the constructors. It's all been resting on Lando Norris so far this season. And they've just been very lucky, I guess. Um, well, not lucky. It's obviously a lot of skill and effort put in. But that he has delivered the results that he's delivered so far in this season. So, yeah, it's a funny one. Um, interesting day. I'm sure they're going to be not happy with, with, the, with the results tally for them. But Monza could be a much better race for them. So again, that, we could we could see a switch. Uh, we could see a switch back come Monza, and that is exactly what I was going to go on to next. How do you think that these midfield teams will fare, Luke, when it comes to Monza next week? Who do you think will hold up well in the midfield bunch? We'll touch on you know the Red Bull and Mercedes battle uh, at the end, but the midfield battle that we've got on our hands. Yeah, I think I think it will play to McLaren. I think that McLaren have been very good at the lower downforce track so far this season. I think we've, uh, yeah, sort of Paul Ricard, um, Silverstone, their pace. I mean, obviously Leclerc had an excellent race, but they were, McLaren were very, very strong as well. So I think that, yeah, I would I would look to McLaren. I think McLaren Ferrari, obviously they're kind of in the league of their own, but I think probably at Mons, I think they will be a step ahead of the others. And uh, yeah, I think behind that, I think it's going to be sort of the usual um yeah tight fight that we see between Alpine, AlphaTauri, Aston Martin um I think it's important for McLaren they do strike back I think they yeah they absolutely need to um because yeah I think this has been a, a weekend for them to forget it's been a weekend where they've just not had the pace at all to be able to fight with the with the, with those other cars in that in that midfield so yeah I think Monza I think it will play more to their strengths I think that they're um yeah probably a, a bit more optimistic for it and uh yeah I think it will also the fact obviously we've got the yeah, sprint qualifying and all of that. I think that'll give a chance for any any qualifying slip-ups on the Friday to be made up for. But uh, yeah, I, I just echo what Jess says. I think that on Ricardo's side of the garage, again, you're kind of thinking like, okay, it's another it's another missed opportunity. It's another race where, okay, maybe the strategy did favour Lando a bit so they could build that tyre delta that meant that it was the right decision to have him uh, ahead and do that team order switch. But uh, yeah, it's still the man in 13th score points, the man who started... 10th didn't but also Ricardo was out qualified by what the Alpines and Giovinazzi yesterday so that wasn't brilliant either but uh yeah I think Monza will be a bit a bit of a better one for McLaren 
they'll certainly be hoping so. I mean, yeah, just they just didn't seem with it this weekend um, in comparison to some of the incredible performances we've seen, especially from Lando Norris so far. Uh, it was it was a little bit of a disappointing end to the weekend. Let's talk about the fact that there were actually no safety cars, no red flags, nothing today. I mean, we had red flags in every session leading up to the race and everyone was sort of expecting that, you know, we might have a bit of chaos, we might have contact, we'd have people going off potentially, red flags would come out or at least, very least, safety cars. Uh, there was there was none of that, none of that at all. Why do you think that that might have been? Do you think there's any particular reason? Were the drivers, you know, playing it a bit safer? What was the reasoning behind that? It was quite shocking, I thought. Yeah, I think we've we've seen it in previous races where we might have a mental Friday and Saturday where there's a lot of chaos and a lot of goings on because you can obviously nobody really wants to put too much on the line in those days because if you if you suffer a lot then you start in a worse position on Sunday but I feel like once you get that they get that out of their system they're pushing the limits Friday and Saturday is all about finding the limit um you get a bit more of a subdued approach to Sunday because it's a marathon not a sprint and I think there was a mixture of things so I think there was that element involved but also this was a this was a race of time management no one knew where, how those tyres were going to degrade, if at all. Um, so there's an element of having to pace yourself, having to, you know, not be flat out. And I think for those reasons, you tend to get a slightly less eventful Grand Prix. So again, I was shocked. I think, again, on our live Q&A, we'd, uh, we'd, we'd predicted three safety cars at least, but um, nothing. And not even uh, not even any, you know, incidents or anything like that. We, we had two retirements um which is is kind of one of those uh again like I was expecting a race of attrition I was expecting us to you know potentially have a race where you know up to three quarters of the grid make it and uh, we lose a quarter of the cars but that wasn't that wasn't the case so it just yeah it goes to show that come Sunday everybody's just looking to maximize on on points and position yeah, we only had those two retirements of uh, Yuki Snowda and Nikita Mazepin. Yuki with a power loss, I think it was, and Nikita with a hydraulics issue. Uh, but George Russell, he was classified, but I believe he actually retired as well. Is that correct, Luke? Yep, it was a gearbox issue that meant he retired on what would have been his penultimate lap. So he was classified 17th disappointing end for him as well um i want to actually move on to the drama shall we say that we've seen between the Haas drivers this weekend uh we don't usually actually spend that much time talking about them so i think we we should we should now that there are things actually bubbling up there obviously it all started after the uh qualifying session yesterday incident with sebastian vettel uh, both drivers summoned to the stewards, no further action taken, but we saw that Nikita was quite uh, frustrated and angry at how things played out. Uh, and then today, it was strange when I was doing the driver's parade, um, they didn't interview together and Nikita actually made a point of saying that, um, you know, strange that he said, this is the first time I'm not having an interview with my teammate beside me. Um, which I (laughs) obviously caught me a bit off guard because I I wasn't expecting that. But it's obvious that there is still some sort of unresolved tension there. 
What are you making of that situation, Jess? And do you think that there is a driver at fault? I know that um, Gunther Steiner has been hesitant to apportion blame, you know, to either driver in in the instance that we also then saw in the race. What are you making of it? Two very frustrated drivers. I mean, they're tootling around at the back of the grid in a car that hasn't been upgraded since last year they're trying to prove a point the only people they're racing this year is themselves um so you know you're gonna want to win that race you're gonna want to win that battle so they're both clearly very eager for that but it is getting to a point now where the team has to step in and manage this because they're gonna end up taking each other out there were some ridiculously close moments this weekend um we've we've seen that kind of start to boil and, and and kind of fester away between them so I think this is the point this is the turning point now where I think Haas have to step in and, and just go we have to come to an agreement now guys there has to be um kind of more communication between the two of you and better respect for each other out on track because it could end really nastily um and I think you know Mick is clearly not happy with the way Nikita's been acting Nikita uh, I think you know he, he's he's pretty much the same. Um, so the only there's no there's no way they're going to fix it between themselves. It has to be a team a team decision now because yeah, it's it's gone on for too long now. I think. Yeah, it is a it is a strange situation that we're finding ourselves in there. Like you said, though, um, they are basically just racing each other, so it is a really difficult situation. Uh, but yeah, it was a it was a strange. Um, strange old uh, moment there when Nikita called that out again and I think Mick has also made comments about the fact that he's not happy that Nikita is you know being so vocal to the media so it is sort of just bubbling 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 there uh, and probably does need to be managed before anything gets out of hand let's look ahead now to Monza we spoke about the midfield teams uh, not too long ago how do you think things might play out at the front of the pack do you think that Red Bull will go into the weekend and be able to extend their championship lead in the driver's standings do you think the Mercedes may be able to regroup and uh, come back stronger and you know take back a win what are you expecting Luke thing is going to be very close again sorry to sit on the fence but it, I think these two teams have been so evenly matched for so many races now I think that it's going to be a fairly similar story at Monza I think that Red Bull I think yeah okay they may step forwards with their, with their power unit a few a few months back but I think Mercedes they they responded I think the upgrades that they brought to Silverstone have worked so I think that yeah I think it's going to be really really close between the two of them I think that it's um yeah, it's very hard to predict. Like, sorry to give you a bit of a non-answer, but I think that they are just so evenly matched at the moment that I really wouldn't want to sort of hedge my bets one way or the other. I think that yeah, we've got the sprint qualifying as well, obviously. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays into it. Like, does anyone approach that Saturday race any differently compared to Silverstone? Does Sergio Perez does he factor in at the front because he should be? Yeah, it's going to be a really really interesting one. One I think, but it's uh, a big opportunity I think for both teams. I'm, I'm excited. Like, I think it's going to be another close one between the two of them. And I think the the thing we're going to have to consider as well is whether Max takes a new power unit. Because if he does, then he's going to get a grid penalty. Checo has negated that because he took it this weekend. So, you know, it could be that all hopes lay on Perez. 
um, for, for, for them getting a win in Monza. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how that plays out added to everything Luke's just, just lined out because ordinarily we'd be going into this saying that this is a, this is a Mercedes track. They, they've done it incredibly well here, uh, recently. So we would be going in saying it's Mercedes track this year. That's not the case. So it's going to be interesting. I think sprint qualifying obviously is going to play into it. A potential max power unit grid penalty is going to play into it. So it's a pretty open book, which is, again, how we should be going into race weekends. I would be surprised if Max did take the engine penalty, just because I, I think that, I agree, Like if you're going to take it anywhere at the remaining tracks, I think Monza would be the one to do it. But I think because we've got sprint quality as well, because there are 29 points up for grabs instead of the normal 26, I think that... If I, I mean, if I were Red Bull, because obviously I've got so much experience running F1 teams, I would probably look to, yeah, have a have a quali where something goes wrong, a bit like Perez at Zandvoort, and they could go, okay, well that's a, that's an obvious place to do it. And I think with Max, that yeah, it might be a similar kind of thing where they think, okay, where's a weekend where okay, we've maybe dropped the ball a little bit, let's take advantage of that. I think Mons, as long as Max is at the front, I think even if it being an easy track to overtake, it's been a track in years past where Rebel have used it to take that penalty I think that yeah I would I would I wouldn't pin my hopes on it too much but we shall see we shall see indeed thank you both for joining me to chat and to unpick all of the action in the Dutch Grand Prix it's been lovely chatting to you both that's all from us today we will of course be back in you know, a matter of days actually, because here we are in an, in a triple header, and we're we'll back to bring you all of the action from Monza, including that sprint qualifying. So catch us again then. But in the meantime, take care. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hey, what's up, guys? This is MMA fighter Clay Guida, and I'm not afraid of anyone or anything, but losing my hair was an entirely different kind of fight. So if you're suffering from hair loss like I was, then you got to check out my boys at Bosley. Pound for pound, they are the champions of hair restoration. That's why I turned to Bosley to get my hair back. The entire Bosley team was so professional and kind from start to finish. All it took was a simple one-day procedure, and I was on my way back to rocking my full hair again. So take it from me. Don't wait if you are thinning or receding. I'm so thrilled with my results, I just wish I would have went to Bosley sooner. It's time to finally knock out hair loss because the best is yet to come. Check out Bosley today. When MMA fighter Clay Guida was losing his hair, he trusted Bosley to get it back. Now it's your turn. Get a free information kit, plus get a $250 off gift card when you text CLAY to 203203. Text CLAY to 203203. Or go to bosley.com. That's bosley.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.